So today we are in week five of the sermon series. This is a seven-week sermon series, so we have two more weeks left. Next week, Michelle will be up here preaching while I will be away at a pastor's retreat. And then the last week will be on the book of Revelation. And so this week we are stopping in Acts, Acts 2, the birth of the church. And today I want to, I want to invite you to stand up in honor of reading the word. And I also am doing something new this week. I tried to create some slides, and I want to apologize because I made them too small to read. But that's why we have Bibles with us. And we're going to open up to Acts 2, and we're going to go through 1 through 21 today. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from the heavens and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard their own language being spoken, utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, and Amalekites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we have heard them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you, who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated. And I know that some of you are reading through the Bible right now. I've heard from several of you. And one of the things I always encourage people to do as they read the Bible, and I know that some of you are doing, is to read the Bible in different translations. And so today... To practice what I preach, I want to read through those first four verses in another version. 
And I want you this time to close your eyes if you need to. You don't have to close your eyes. You can also read up here on the screen. But imagine with me that you're in the room. What do you see? What do you hear? And what do you feel? I'm going to be reading the first four verses in the Common English Bible. It says, when the Pentecost day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. What did you see? What did you hear? What did you feel as you were sitting, imagining yourself sitting in that room? I don't know about you, but I think I would have been nervous. A violent, fierce wind filled the house, and it was followed by flames of fire. I think I would have been terrified. I would have probably ducked under the table or gone in the doorway or hid in the basement. And the the tongues of fire, I was always taught to stop, drop, and roll. And so I think that had to be scary, and I wonder what was going through the disciples' minds that day. There had to be at least one person in the room that was nervous, maybe. I think I would have been. It says that the crowd gathered outside because they had heard the commotion and they were bewildered. They were mystified. They were surprised and amazed, it says, and they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? What was the point of the day of Pentecost? They say that the day of Pentecost was the birth of the church. 3,000 were baptized that day. But what does the day of Pentecost mean for us here today? The church in Acts grew rapidly. They grew in numbers, while the church in America is in steep decline. I don't know any church that hasn't been impacted by the effects of COVID, but the church was in decline before COVID. COVID just sped up what was already happening. The younger generations, the millennials and Gen Zs, they're leaving the church and they're not looking back. I'm a part of the millennial generation, and I can't even tell you how many friends I've had leave the church. And I've listened to their reasons, and sometimes, sometimes I understand them. They were disappointed. They were disenchanted. They were tired of the politics and the power games. They weren't finding what they needed, and so they left. And I wonder if this passage has a word for us today. What can we, the church in America, learn from the story of Pentecost? There's a story in the book of Genesis. We skipped over it when we were in Genesis, but it starts in Genesis 11, and it says the whole world had one language and one common speech. The people there, they worked together. They worked together to build a tower because they wanted to reach the heavens so that they can make a name for themselves. <clears throat> they had selfish motives, and so God had had enough of it, and God scattered the people, and he confused their languages. And so the people of the world were no longer able to communicate with one another. 
And the day of Pentecost, it reverses that curse. God brought the people back together from all these different nations. They weren't all speaking the same language. And I don't know how many different languages were represented there, but there were a lot. And the Holy Spirit reversed that curse. And so they all heard the same message in their own native tongue. They all heard about the wonders of God in their own language. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit can give us that ability today to speak to those who don't look like us, who don't think like us, who don't act like us, and who don't believe like us. I wonder if the Holy Spirit will give us the ability to meet people where they are, right here in Madison County where they look at us with amazement because we spoke in their language and we said something that they understood for the very first time about Jesus. I wonder if the Holy Spirit will give us the ability to see lives transformed, radically changed right here in Canastota. When I was in college, I traveled to Guatemala for a working witness trip. It was my first experience with a natural disaster. Hurricane Stan arrived shortly after we did. And you might not remember Hurricane Stan because it only hit Central America and parts of Mexico, but it was in the top 30 most deadly hurricanes. It happened just five weeks after Hurricane Katrina. And Hurricane Stan killed about 1,600 people. My team, we were able to stay safe it was mostly the mudslides and underdeveloped areas that caused the damage because wind has the power to destroy. When Austin and I and the family were driving here from Oregon, we passed through, we passed a sign that said Canastota and we were in South Dakota. And so it was right along I-90. And so we pulled off and we drove through Canastota, South Dakota. And it was there that we saw these large grain towers that had been damaged by the wind. I'm guessing it must have been a tornado, and so Austin had me take some pictures out the window. And you can see that the wind has the power to do some significant damage. Wind can completely change the landscape of things. Got this handy dandy slider, because I want to go to the next slide. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, was the wind of God. This word Ruach can also mean wind, and that's what they use to talk about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is this mighty wind of God. In the beginning, in Genesis 1, when God created the heavens and the earth, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That was the Ruach Elohim the wind of God. Wind can cause a lot of damage and it can create a lot of change, but what the Ruach of God, but what the Ruach of God does is it has life-giving purposes. It's not chaotic like a tornado. The Spirit of God can surprise us. It can even make us uncomfortable, maybe even a little scared, but the Spirit of God is not chaotic like a hurricane or a tornado, the Spirit of God has a purpose. The breath of God brings life. The Spirit of God moves us closer to God so that we can have life in abundance. Culture is changing all around us, 
and the world is growing increasingly divided, people no longer want to attend church. And it sometimes feels like the culture has been hit by a tornado because we don't even recognize it anymore. What are we to do as the church? Can the Spirit of God redeem our culture with the mighty winds of revival? I don't think that we'll ever go back to the way things were five, 10, or 20 years ago. The tornado, I think, has gone through, and the damage has been done. So what is our way forward? Where is the Spirit leading us? In the Church of the Nazarene, we believe in the doctrine of prevenient grace. God's grace that goes before us. God's grace, God's spirit, the Ruach of God goes before us and it's out there working in our world and our community. God's grace precedes the individual's decision to follow Christ. It's the grace that invites people to follow God. The Nazarene Manual, it says, we believe that the grace of God through Jesus Christ is freely bestowed upon all people, enabling all who would turn from sin to righteousness, believe on Jesus Christ for pardon and cleansing from sin, and follow good works pleasing and acceptable in his sight. We also believe that the human race, the human race's creation and God-likeness included the ability to choose between right and wrong, and thus human beings were made morally responsible that through the fall of Adam, they became depraved so that they cannot now turn and prepare themselves by their own natural strength and works to faith and, upon, and calling upon God. In other words, God's grace is freely bestowed upon all people, enabling people to turn from sin. We were made morally responsible but because of, the, because of the fall, we were unable to do this in our own strength. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament. The Israelites, they fail and fail and fail. They weren't able to do it on their own. And it's that grace of God, the prevenient grace of God that empowers us to live a holy life. And that grace of God is made available to all people. And that is the Spirit of God is the grace of God for us. Throughout this sermon series on binge reading the Bible, we saw in week one that God brings order out of chaos. In week two, we saw that God is faithful even when God's people are unfaithful. In week three, we saw the prophet Jeremiah instruct the people of God to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which he sent them. And last week, we saw God show up in the most unlikely of places. God is faithful to show up even in the most likely of places. God will bring order out of chaos, the chaos that is all around us. And the Spirit of God will lead us as we seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which he carried us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. I heard a story a few years ago about a church in the South. This happened several years ago, but this church, they were getting ready to move. They were packing up their things to move to a new building. 
And if you've ever moved, you know the process. It can be long and tiring. There's a lot that goes into it. They're sorting and organizing and packing. When we moved, we had to sell and donate a lot of things before we could move. And so this church in the South, they were going through this same process. They had a basement full of treasures, full of gadgets and gizmos aplenty. And as they were sorting and organizing and getting ready to move, they found a box in the corner of the basement that was full of Civil War era explosives. And I want to pause the story right here for a moment to say we have a room in the back that's full of storage. We'll soon be going through that and letting people take what they need because we had a bunch of chairs donated to us, so we have a lot of chairs that we need to get rid of. And if you find a box of Civil War era explosives, do not touch it. So back to the story. The church was in this old building. The building was over 100 years old, and so no one knew where the box came from how long it had been there, or why it was even there. They just knew that it had been there for many, many years because it was one of those closets they just never got to go through. And so they did the right thing. They called the authorities, and they had someone come out. They took the, the box of explosives. They took it out to a field way outside of town, and they exploded the Civil War era explosives safely. And they say that the explosion could be felt for miles, that windows on the other side of town were shaking. And do you ever wonder if the church in America here is not living up to her potential and that maybe we're sitting on a box of untapped power? There's a box in the basement and we're completely unaware of the power that is yet to be released. We haven't searched our own hearts, our own lives, our own communities for where the spirit of God is at work. Or we, when, we don't, when we don't allow the spirit of God to work in us and through us, we're sitting on that untapped power. And sometimes we're sitting on it completely unaware because we, we haven't asked the God of creation to search us and know us. In the Gospel of Luke, at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, Jesus, he stood up in the synagogue and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the same Spirit of the Lord that is upon us today. It's the same Spirit that we have available to us today. We have been anointed to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release of the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind. We have been called to liberate the oppressed and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. The Spirit of God enables us every day, ordinary people to proclaim and deliver and declare the wonders of God. On the day of Pentecost, Peter, he goes out and he boldly proclaims the good news of Christ in front of a multitude of people. 3,000 people were saved. And the same guy, when Jesus was arrested, he denied Jesus three times. When Jesus was crucified, Peter was nowhere to be found. This guy that some people might call a coward, 
Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to stand up and boldly proclaim the good news of Christ. As I was preparing for this message, I read a story from a preacher named Tom Long. He said he was teaching a confirmation class, and it was a very small class. There were only three girls in this class. And when he came to the discussion on Pentecost, he asked them if they knew what Pentecost was. And he said, since none of the three knew, I provided proceeded to inform them that Pentecost was when the church was sitting in a group and the Holy Spirit landed on them like tongues of fire on their heads, and then they spoke the gospel in all the languages of the world. Two of the little girls, they took this information in strides, but the third girl looked astonished. Her eyes were wide. And so Tom Long, he looked back at her and she said, Reverend Long, I must have been absent on that Sunday. <laughs> and so we may have missed that day of Pentecost, but it's not too late for us to participate in the spirit-empowered movement of God. We, the church, are the vehicle of God through which God's mission comes to fruition here on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. God will give us the power and the boldness to live a life for Christ. God will give us the power and boldness to lead others to Christ. And I think sometimes we sit on that power, the power of Christ to transform us because we're afraid. We're afraid of the cost of discipleship. We're afraid of what others might think. We're afraid of change. Or maybe we're like the church in the South and we're unaware of the power that can be found within us because we don't want to go digging in the closet. We don't know what we'll uncover and we don't want our windows to be shaken. Transformation takes work. And we might have to let go of some things that we would rather cling to. We might have to put away old habits that we're kind of fond of. The deep work of transformation can be painful. And so to close us today, I want to pray a simple prayer. And I want to invite you to pray it with me. I'll read it through once and we'll read it together the second time. I don't know if that font's too small, but it's Psalm 139, 23 through 24. And it says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. And I want to invite you all to read this with me as a prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Dear Lord, we pray the scripture to you today. We pray that you will search us and know us, that you will search our anxious thoughts, that you will, that you will embolden us to live for you, that we will release the power that is available to us through the Holy Spirit, so that we can be your light, your vehicle of God's grace in our community. May we partner with you as we, as we head into the holiday season, as we do ministry and charity work. I pray that you will be in it, that you will work through it, and that your power 
will be known throughout the land here. And we give all the glory and honor and praise to you. Amen. Amen.